The first verse in the book of Job says there was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. So we've been preaching this sermon series called The Wizard of Uz about the man named Job in the book of Job. I'm going to read the 41st chapter this morning. That's the next to last chapter in the book of Job. God is speaking. God is speaking to Job. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook or press down on its tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Lay your hands on it. Think of the battle. You won't do it again. Who can strip off its outer garments? Who can penetrate its double coat of mail? Who can open the doors of its face? There's terror all around its teeth. Its back is made of shields and rows, shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to the other that no air can come between them. Its sneezes flash forth light, and its eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. From its mouth go flaming torches, sparks of fire leap out. When it raises itself up, the gods are afraid. At the crashing, they're beside themselves. On earth it has no equal, a creature without fear. It surveys everything that is lofty, its king over all that is proud. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is the seventh of eight sermons on the book of Job. The book of Job has 42 chapters and exactly 12,674 words. And Job himself has used about a quarter of those 12,000 words to hector God, to badger God and to whine to God about God's mismanagement of the universe. And finally, at the end, God speaks. The passage I just read is Job chapter 41. It's the penultimate chapter in the book. We've been going at this for 40 chapters. When God's finished speaking here for all practical purposes, everybody just shuts up. And so this is God's last crack at convincing Job that the universe is not as badly managed as Wells Fargo, and to convince Job that God, God's self, is not as dysfunctional a CEO as Logan Roy. Now, in that context, is this what you would have said in your own defense? All through this book, Job asks, why do the righteous, pro the righteous suffer and the evil prosper? Over and over again. And finally, God points to God points to, God points to Behemoth and Leviathan. I told you last week that in the mythology of the ancient Near East, among the peoples of Canaan and Egypt and Babylon, Behemoth and Leviathan were monsters that represented the frightening, prodigious powers of chaos that always threatened to undo God's good order in God's creation. And I said last week that Behemoth was the hippopotamus that mucks about among the reeds of the Nile River. And as you can tell from the meticulous description of this beast in this graphic poetry, Leviathan is the crocodile that prowls around the same habitat. The crocodile. Now how is Leviathan an apt answer to Job's penetrating, pointed, pressing, pertinent, poignant plea. Some crocodiles are 20 feet long. Some of them weigh a ton, literally 
2,000 pounds. They have the strongest bite in the animal kingdom. They can clench their jaws at 3,700 pounds per square inch, which is 10 times what your friendly neighborhood Rottweiler can do. And not only that, they're fairly smart. Do you know that crocodiles can talk? Well, not like Lyle, Lyle Crocodile can sing, but they can talk to each other. Herpetologists have found out that crocodiles have 20 different vocalizations. They can say happy, they can say sad, they can say scared, they can say warning, they can say come hither babe. Do you remember last week you promised not to fire me if I talked about the Jurassic Park films in my sermons? Do you remember that point when Chris Pratt discovers that the velociraptors are talking to each other? about him. They're conspiring together against Chris Pratt. Herpetologists today are just as surprised that crocodiles can vocalize. They look positively prehistoric, don't they? And that's because they are. They look pretty much today like they did 80 million years ago. And the point of that little factoid is, if you get it right early on your evolutionary path, don't mess around. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. They don't look like they belong here, do they? They look like they're dropped here from other, some other strange world. They look alien. This is where the makers of those Sigourney Weaver movies got their ideas. Well, actually, I don't know if that's true, but you see my point. Michael Crichton got it most right in his book, Jurassic Park. He says, no wonder people hate reptiles. The coldness, the stillness, the pace is all wrong. To be among alligators, he says, is to be reminded of a vanished world that no longer exists. He's right about that. By the way, I told you last week the collective noun for a group of hippos. A group of hippos is called a bloat. Do you know what a group of crocodiles is called? That's called a float. A bloat and a float, although float refers to a group of crocodiles only when they're in the water. When they're on the land, you call them a basque, B-A-S-K. Get it? So I'll ask again, how is the crocodile an apt answer to Job's pointed, pressing, poignant, pertinent plea? But you see God's point, right? God wants to say to Job, Job, your universe is beautiful, but it's not safe. I didn't make it for you. I didn't make it to be predictable. I hate predictability. Predictability is boring. I like surprise. I like the unexpected. You know what the holiest place in Chicago is besides the churches themselves? For me, the holiest place in Chicago are the Griffin Halls of an evolving planet at the Field Museum. This testimony to God's sprawling, prodigious imagination. When I lived in the New York metro area, it was the Hall of Biodiversity at the American Museum of Natural History. I love these places that testify to God's imagination and creativity. When I'm in those places, it feels like I'm in church in a sacred place. I feel like Moses at the burning bush. I seem to hear a voice which says, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. And so here in this speech, God wants to say to Job, look, 
Job, when I started scattering a leaping, flying, diving zoo of beasts across the sprawling expanse, expanse of your planet, from the towering heights of the Rockies to the Stygian depths of the Mariana Trench, even I couldn't have predicted what would happen. Even I couldn't have predicted the West African slender-snouted crocodile. And this rule of supply, so surprise applies to Hurricane Ian. It applies to Vesuvius. It applies to Ebola. It applies to 9.5 on the Richter scale. And so the existence of evil... The question, why do bad things happen to good people, is not a problem to solve. It's a mystery to confound and to be silent before. Now, Christine and Katie and I are your pastors, and we'll do our best to hear your questions, to understand your dolor, and to share your injuries. But we want you to know that it's not always easy, because we speak for God. We stand here on God's behalf, and to be honest, God has a lot to answer for sometimes. So Tom Long was my preaching professor at Princeton Seminary a long time ago, and after Tom uh, left Princeton, he went to Emory University in Atlanta, where Joe Forrest studied. And in one place, Tom is talking, he's remembering his first year in parish ministry at a small church somewhere in the United States. And he, he remembers something that happened at another American congregation on an October Sunday. It was precisely 1128 on an October Sunday. The congregation was singing, Fairest Lord Jesus, when the boiler exploded at the First Baptist Church of Marietta, Ohio. Five people were killed, including a 30-year-old Sunday school teacher and four of his teenage students in his class. Fourteen other people were injured. And the next Sunday at Tom's own, own church, Tom is talking to a group of parishioners about this senseless, inexplicable loss of life early and tragically. And finally, Tom says, well, I'll tell you one thing. I sure am glad I'm not the pastor of that church. And one of his parishioners looks him right in the eye and he says, you are the pastor of that church. And so are we all. Most of our hurts aren't that theatrical, aren't that noisy, aren't that large. Sometimes they're quiet and small. When Kathy and Doogie and I drove to the West Coast this spring, we had a lot of time to listen to audiobooks. And I think my favorite book of all was Frederick Bachman's Anxious People. And if you've read the novel Anxious People, you know that one of the characters is a woman named Estelle. Estelle is fairly old, and she's very, very lonely. She frequently attends real estate open houses, not because she wants to buy a house, but just so that she can be with other people. And so Estelle shows up at one of these open houses, and she goes inside by herself, and she tells the other guests at the open house that her husband, Canute, is parking the car. But time goes by, and Canute never shows up, and finally she admits, spoiler alert, that Canute is gone. He's dead. 
And then Canute starts telling the other customers at the open house about her love affair with Canute. And she says, you know, it wasn't one of those love stories you read about or see on rom-coms. It was more like the story of a child who finds the perfect playmate. Estelle says that when Canute touches her, even right up until the end, it makes her feel like climbing trees or swimming in the lake like a child. And when Canute dies, Estelle cries so hard she can't breathe. And she says, I've never been the same since then. I've sort of curled up into myself and I haven't unfurled. He was my echo, she says. Everything I do is quieter now. I wonder how many people like Estelle I've sat down with. They haven't quite unfurled yet. They've lost their echo. Their life is quieter now. And so even in small losses like that, you find out that evil is not a problem to solve, but a mystery to confound and to be silent before. There's not much to say. There isn't much to say except the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.